Hey. Hey, you. Yeah, don't look behind you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they try to sneak huge fees in at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I'm going up to Dallas next month, meaning July, to try to check out some Rangers games. And you'd better believe I'm going to use SeatGeek. I used it for my trip in Detroit I told you guys about. Um, I've been recommending it to people left and right all across the country, to be honest. A couple friends in different spots been recommending it. My buddy is in New York, and he's going up to visit his family a little bit for the summer. And he and his dad are already mapping out where they, what they're going to go see uh, in terms of Mets games with SeatGeek. Honestly, it's the only place I use now. I used to use other places, I'll freely admit. The one that frequently gets mentioned here, StubHub. Stopped using it. It's not It's not necessary at this point because uh, SeatGeek's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Now, I remember when MLB.com first got this for their stadiums, and it was awesome. But I would, you know, be on the StubHub app or something, and then I'd have I buy the ticket or look at a section, then I go to the MLB site and have to kind of, you know, use their stadium view. Now it's all it's all in one with SeatGeek, and the grading is just color coding. So if you know a stoplight, green means go, red means halt. So if you see a red one in the section you want, maybe relax and try to find a green one because those are going to be the better price tickets uh, for their value. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you at the end with huge fees. Now, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to Settings, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's really easy. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. of the sleeper and the bust it is wednesday june 22nd i'm your host paul spore joined by eno saris eno it has been a while how you doing man i hurt myself today no honestly when you said that i would have thought that you were an outfielder in major league baseball but uh, (laughs) you did it playing basketball for everybody i mean pitchers too yeah that's true honestly it's 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 the injury month you know obviously we're two months Two plus months and actually approaching the third month, this is when injuries really start to take hold. We've had a ton of them in the outfield. We're going to get to those. We're actually going to start with a, a, a potentially devastating one. We're diving right in. We've got a hard stop today for you to jump on the radio. So uh, enough with the niceties and the chit chat. We got to get into the basketball the ugly geez. stuff. We'll talk hoops perhaps later. Noah Syndergaard, elbow soreness, left his start early. Threw a couple wild pitches before leaving. It's terrifying, right? And anytime, you know, we see this with Kershaw when he had that back thing, oh, 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 what was it, two years ago, 
Super, and the hip. Super, yeah, the hip. Super freak out. Hey, anything with the with the aces, they get a they get a, a blister. They get a paper cut, and we're freaking out. So I get it. What's going on? What I I shouldn't ask you what's going on with Syndergaard because we don't know yet. But how worried are you about this? I mean, there's more there's more risk at the top of the you know the food chain when it comes to velocities. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is, uh, this is Elvis Ornus. He's had uh, forearm soreness in the minor leagues. So, I mean, I, if there's a red light, yellow light, green light, I don't think that he really lives in the green light. You know what I yeah, mean? absolutely. It's, he's probably always uh, maybe one of those flashing yellows where you're just supposed to slow down. Not quite a full yellow, but... I blast um, through those. <laughs> so maybe that... And so does he. I mean, at 95 plus, so... Uh, I, 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 I used to worry a lot more about injury than I do. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that, uh, a lot, a large portion of the luck of the fantasy season is which one of your pitchers and of the regular season really is which one of your pitchers gets hurt and how often and how many and how, and for how badly. So I think that's uh, I think fair and accurate. It's, it's really hard to pick who's going to happen because I think there are people with crap mechanics who are just have crazy good ligaments you know? mm-hmm. and then there's there's goods like there's guys like bartolo cologne i mean uh you know whispers aside or whatever you know history aside um the he was the guy that got a that they named a stat after him pitcher abuse points was like the bartolo cologne stat and oh really he know, was he, the impetus for that yeah he was the guy they he got abused so much so early so hard that everyone was like, he's going to be done at 28. And here he is at, you know, 65 years old, <laughs> still out there, uh, you know, chucking one hitter. So I, I, yeah, Syndergaard, I think he will go down at some point. I, I doubt it's this early in his career, but, um, you know, it's, it's happened before. And I, you know, I'm not trading him or anything. No. This, I, this kind of stuff that just makes us uh, feel bad. I think that's exact. I think you nailed it. You know, it, it feels bad. It's upsetting, but you you don't run out and trade him. I think that that's a bad move. That's a panic move because there have been instances where we do see something like this, where we do see the 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 little sign of potential trouble with an ace. Everyone does make the panic move, not necessarily cutting them, but like trading them, and it turns out to be a blip. And so we just don't know. And I think you alluded to it earlier. You used to really freak out over injuries. But I think you probably came to the conclusion that that hopefully a lot of folks have is that we just don't know. So you take the best skills and you kind of roll with it from there. Um, Syndergaard, if he is hurt, obviously we'll we'll keep that uh, keep that updated. I I am still a little bit nervous about the next guy too because my main concern coming into the season with him was his shoddy injury track record. But again, because he'd been so good, and I'm talking about Jake Arrieta. You just kind of go with it and, and I guess hope for the best. But he had a pretty poor health record before really breaking out. He had the big workload last year that uh, you know started to show some fatigue from self-admitted in the playoffs. We haven't seen anything. We don't have anything like the Syndergaard issue, but he was, he was bumped around a bit today. Not from an earned run standpoint, but another four-walk outing. Uh, I think it's like his fourth or fifth of the year. His third outing in the last six where he's only made it five innings. Is there any concern here, or is this just some, uh, j- just some bumps in the road here for Arietta? One thing that's really interesting is that Arietta has really gone to the sinker more. 
uh, this year. And it hasn't really, like, you know, it's funny because everyone thinks, oh, yeah, sinker, you know, pitching the contact, mm-hmm. uh, going for the ground ball. But it's not necessarily, that's not necessarily how he uses a sinker. He uses a sinker uh, to steal strikes, front door sinkers. Um, and, uh, and he uses sinkers in, you know, in swinging strike counts to, to overpower people because they start to think about making contact, shortening up, and, you know, they're looking breaking ball because he throws so many breaking balls, too. And then all of a sudden, the sinker's on them at 96 in, in like, a two-strike count. So, you know, he uses that sinker a lot. He's using it more. He's using he's getting more ground balls, but he's not necessarily saving pitches. So it's an interesting uh, conundrum. And uh, <clears throat> it, it, it might worry me more if he was ticking down in velocity. Sure. And if he was, um, I mean, he's 30, he should be sometime soon, um, you know, you know, starting to see some velocity loss. But if he, you know, if he's at 92, um, I feel like uh, I might feel differently about, you know, the walks coming back, especially since in his in his past, he used to have more walks. Yeah, that was actually a big issue for him um, throughout most of his Baltimore career. He kind of had that one little spike here in, in walk rate. In 2012, where he was down to 7%, which is below league average. Beyond that, he was always a double-digit guy, Jake Arrieta was. And so that's problematic. You know, to your point earlier about the the shift to the sinker kind of being associated with pitch-to-contact and efficiency, it's super slight, but his pitches per plate appearance is actually up this year. And uh, from 3.94 last year to 3.97 this year, again, negligible for sure. But the perception is that he should be going the other way, and and we're definitely not seeing that in the numbers. You know who else had a similar issue early on when he wasn't really getting the strikeouts was Chris Sale. Uh, we're all, oh, you know, he's, he's just being more efficient and getting through things quicker. Eh, not really. You you know, you check the numbers, you see, not so much. But yeah. I look at this, and I, I want to just say, okay, just a tough start, nothing to really worry about, but there, there are some things here. And again, it's not going to show up in the results because he only gave up two runs and one of them was earned today for Jake Arrieta. And even in those other five inning starts, he's only really been, uh, he's only really given up four runs once this year. Coincidentally, it was against the same St. Louis team that got to him today. But, you know, we're seeing some, some, some little nicks here uh, with the, with the shorter outings and the elevated walk rate. But it's weird because he'll go, you know, multi-walk outings, three, four in a row, and then he'll have one. But he actually only has, Jake Arrieta only has one outing this year of zero walks. I found that kind of interesting this year. Is that, is it, you think there's any strategy behind that where he doesn't want to give in, maybe give up a hit, or is, is he losing some of his control? Mm, you know, he could be pitching in a different part of the zone, you know, in order to get those ground balls. Um, let me check here his... his uh, you know, yeah, there you go. Uh, he's not getting as many reaches on pitches outside the zone. By a substantial mar- margin, right? Yeah, well, it depends on where you look. Uh, but, you know, either pitch FX or the BIS, both of them basically say that he used to get more swings than average uh, on, on pitches outside the zone, and he's getting fewer well, now. What is average on O swing? Because Arietta's from 34% last year to 30% this year. I think that's BIS, and then you referenced that pitch FX had it a little bit differently, only going from 33 to 31. What is average? Well, uh, average is usually around 30%. Okay. So, so he's still uh, average this year, even. 
Yeah. Regardless yeah. of which one you look it's at. It's a little bit different um, on each one. But yeah, he averages around 30%. So he's basically gone from, you know, plus to either average or above average, depending on which one you're looking at. Okay. Um, and, I, you know, it's it's sort of what happened with Keuchel. Uh, it's not exactly the same thing because... Because he still has overpowering not, stuff, even if they right, aren't swinging. Yeah. And it's not on the same level. And it's like, I just think that uh, at some point... Uh, you know, oh, here's the thing. Batters, as they get older, just swing less. It's just, uh, they make they have fewer swings. It's just something that happens. It's the aging curve for swing percentage just goes down. And so... I think that that has some sort of implications for what happens with pitchers, right? Is that they can they can fool you, but the more you see them, you know, the more the less you're going to reach at stuff, and the less you're going to swing. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of it's not it's not talking about like individual matchups as much as it is saying like, you know, if if there was one pitcher in baseball and there was one hitter in baseball, then we would see that there would be fewer swings. So um, I think it's it, what happens when people become more familiar with their stuff. So uh, the fact that he's pitching so well, despite the fact that people are reaching less, I think um, it says it all. Really, I, I'm not I'm not worried about him. Okay, so we're not we're not we're not sweating Arietta right now. Do have Michael Mariano had uh, had you know the most extreme sort of swing. And uh, and reach rate type situations, and they had a they had more extreme regressions, and they've had way worse uh, results. So this is you know in the same ballpark, but not necessarily um, the same you know size okay. or you know doesn't mean as much to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Again, especially with Arietta, has the overpowering stuff to make up for it. Where Keuchel, when they're not reaching and missing. Uh, doesn't has to come in the zone with much weaker stuff, which obviously this is a uh, this is a pretty good ball game on right now, um, you know because we've talked in the past about how Mengden is a pretty good uh, pitcher at home, yeah, a guy to take right now, and he he held Milwaukee to three. He got nine uh, punches he, too. He's out. Yeah, he had the punch, uh, but you know the, the the I think Milwaukee was a decent test because they have an okay offense. Um, and uh, it was interesting to see if they would hit home runs off him and stuff. But he did pretty good. Javier Guerra, I just – or Junior Guerra. Sorry, I always want to call him Javier. Me too. Because well, because the, there's been two, right? The guy who was a, yeah. a closer for a half second and now the prospect, right? Yeah, so there are there's some Guerras out there. Oh, yeah, the shortstop prospect. Yeah. I even forgot about him. But Junior Guerra is the former catcher with the split finger in the 94. And he's the oldest one, by it. the way, which is kind of funny. Oh, actually, I guess the other Javi Guerra might be older. But Junior, uh, and he's and he's a 31-year-old. Right. The Junior is senior. The Junior, the senior Junior guy, um, I, I just traded for him in a, in a league that's really weird. It has rentals. So I gave up uh, less or about a month of Billy Hamilton to a guy who really needs steals. And for that for that pleasure, I got Junior Guerra for the rest of the season. I feel pretty good about that yeah. because you know I needed pitching, and I think Guerra's going to do better than his projections. Stuff we've talked about a little bit before, but you know, watching these guys go up against each other right now in day baseball, uh, where you know Oakland plays a little bit different in the day when it's a little bit warmer there, uh, to see them both pitching well into the seventh. Uh, you know, Guerra just hit ninety four and ninety five in the seventh, so. You know, these are these are legit guys, I think. 
I uh, just wanted to bring that up. I really and, like uh, the fact that Garrett, you know, he's got that split finger, which I absolutely love. He's been really leaning on that. But like you said, the velocity piece has been there pretty nicely, too. Uh, averaging about 93, 94, can bump it up into the mid-90s when he needs it. He also uh, has a big strikeout total today. He's at seven. He's trying to finish off the seventh inning here um, and get get out with a lead at 3-2. So, yeah, both these guys, obviously on opposite ends of kind of the age spectrum there. Mangdon's a new guy coming up in his low 20s here, 31-year-old junior Garrett. I like both of them as at least kind of stream options in some of your uh, middle mixed leagues there, like 12, 15 teams. But then, of course, in only leagues, they're both solid options that I think you can rely on for, for at least a stretch here. I think they've shown a lot. You really turned me on to, to Mengden. I've been keeping a close eye on him since he came up. I definitely like him. And, uh, you know, hopefully you don't have to put one of either of those guys into your lineup for Noah Syndergaard. You can put them in addition to Noah Syndergaard. But uh, we got one more. We got one hitter to talk about before we dive into a, a, a bunch of outfielders. One call-up, I should say. And, you know, it could be one of the best call-ups of the year just because the catcher position has been so freaking awful. Uh, Wilson Contreras got called up. And, you know, I didn't think he was going to. You know, we get all the questions, hey, when's this guy going to be called up? I always just say, I don't know because I absolutely do not know. And I leaned toward not for a while with Wilson Contreras because I didn't think they were going to hold three catchers. Well, they they are. The Cubs are, are open to doing that. Uh, looks like Lester is or Ross is going to be the caddy for Lester. Arietta and Montero are going to work together, and then Wilson Contreras is going to get kind of the rest of the games. Well, he's already making a fast impact. He's actually has two pinch hit home runs because he had to come in today uh, when Montero left injured. Big prospect was dominating in the minors. How impactful can Wilson Contreras be? Also considering the fact that catcher's so bad that I think he's already in all formats catcher two at the very least. Yeah, I mean, he has a really exciting combination of, of strikeout rate and, and power. I mean, you know, he's projected by Zips to have a league average strikeout rate, but I don't see that. I mean, it's been since uh, high A ball in 2014 that he had an average strikeout rate. Ever since then, he's really cut it to about 12, 13, 14 percent in there. So I think he comes up. I think he strikes out, you know, in this in this in this period, like 16 to 18 percent of the time. That's that's better than average and that that gives him a chance you know catcher babbitt i've talked about before catcher babbitt's around around 280 um they project him at three at 300 so you know if he can manage that through just hitting the snot out of the ball which is possible i mean he's obviously already hit those two homers he hits the ball hard then uh then i would take the over on all those power projections and give him something like a 265 batting average uh you know 330 obp and like a 450 slugging um, which uh, that that would end up being like a you know twenty home run true power kind of guy. Now of course he's a catcher, so he's not starting every day. He's not going to get twenty homers. Not going to do that in the second half either. But um, you know like you know hit you six to eight homers with a two sixty two seventy average. There's uh, there's a lot of guys who can do it, but there's not a lot of guys on the wire who can do that. Probably. Exactly. I think that's a great point. Is that you know, there just hasn't been a lot available at catch. It's been so, so bad. Uh, I was talking with Derek Van Riper at Rotowire about this, and you kind of look on ESPN's Player Raider. Um, they, they have their little formula based on the five categories that we use, and you don't get to 12 without them already having a negative value. Derek Norris is at, uh, or actually, excuse me, 
Stephen Vogt is now uh, there at 12 at minus 0.19. Last year, just for the full season, you had to get to catcher 24 before there were, excuse me, catcher 21 before there was a negative value. So it's just not been good at catcher, even the best. Uh, Buster Posey has not been himself this year. You got Lucroy Ramos really, really holding it down. Posey's right there in third. Uh, Sal Perez has been solid. Those four, and then it's a big jump down to JT Real Muto, Wellington Castillo. You got Chris Herman as the eighth best. Uh, and Evan Gaddis didn't even start the season uh, playing, and he's already 10th. Yadi Molina, you know, when I say, what do you think about Yadi Molina this year? I doubt anyone's saying, oh, he's been pretty, pretty good. I think he's been pretty blah, and he's sitting there at 11th. So Wilson Contreras can come up and make an immediate impact in fantasy leagues just because catcher's been so barren. Um, how much of a, uh, I guess, discount do you put on catchers for the fact that they have to kind of learn such a, uh, such a difficult position as well? You know, there's already kind of the whispers about Wilson Contreras not really having the defense um, of, uh, of a Miguel Montero or, you know, the framing, that sort of deal. And um, it is risk. It is risk. If you're in the kind of league where, you know, or if you're tempted, you have three guys, you picked up Wilson Contreras and you have, you know, a more established guy in front of him like Russell Martin or, or somebody that you're, you're, not, you're not sure is going to bounce back and be better. Uh, Stephen Vogt, somebody like that, and you're like, oh, I'll just trade away this guy and have Wilson Contreras and be better that way. So, um, did you uh, did you happen to catch John Lackey's interview after Wilson Contreras' first start? Uh, yeah, he mentioned it actually. He said stuff about that. So, yeah, that's what I was gonna say is that he kind of seemed to, without trying to crush Contreras, I felt he, like yeah, he, he tried to frame it. He was like. He'll get better at that. Exactly. And, <laughs> and you could see, because he was stuttering a little bit, I think he was really thinking and trying to choose his words without going out there and saying, you know, this rookie screwed me up and cost me a homer or whatever, because he seemed to imply that some of his calls or setups or whatever the case was hurt Lackey a little bit. And But he was trying to be delicate about it. That That's interesting to me. But if it's something that's persistent, I think that's where Contreras could lose playing time. The hitting could be there right away. But if the defense isn't there, that's when I think someone like Montero gets back into the picture a little bit. So you got to keep an eye on that for Contreras with the Cubs. All right, you know, let's talk outfielders here because I mentioned that uh, it's been ravaged lately. Just in the time since you and I last podcasted, which is just over a week, we've seen David Peralta, Dexter Fowler, J.D. Martinez, Gerardo Parra, Jose Bautista, and Steven Souza all go on the disabled list. Peralta was back on the disabled list after just eight games, um, and then the others had been guys that were all performing pretty darn well this year. Fowler was amazing. Martinez was uh, more good than bad. He had a little bit of a lull there. Parra was solid in Colorado. Bautista doing his thing with the power. Uh, and even Steven Souza was having a pretty good year. That's why I got him in on this on this list. All on the disabled list in the span of about eight days or so. So I want to talk some potential replacements for folks. Uh, those guys are all out for varying time periods. They're all going to have to make out, make some replacements. We got some combo guys doing a little bit with the power and the speed. We got some power only, and we got some speed only. I'm going to give you three guys in each category. You pick your favorite of the bunch. They're all widely available at ESPN and Yahoo leagues. If you're in a deeper league, they're probably not available. I understand that. We're catering to a little bit uh, wider net here with these guys. 
First off with the combo, guys. Over the last 30 days, you got Melvin Upton Jr., Leonis Martin, Ryan Rua. Melvin Upton has uh, three homers, six stolen bases. Leonis Martin is only two and two, but that's because he's only played 14 games because of injury. He'd been excellent before that, and it's nice to see that he's come back and continued to kind of hit very well. And then Ryan Rua is a little bit of a surprise one. I don't see him as a speed guy, but he's got four homers and three stolen bases in the last 30 days. Of these three guys, who would you like to replace if you're if you're missing one or more of those outfielders right now? So this is like a pickup thing? Yeah, yeah, just who's your favorite of this, basically. Well, I, we've talked so much about Leonis Martin that, you know, I I, I that's my go-to guy. But I, I think it is interesting uh, about Ryan Rua that um, he seems to, he used to have like, he's had like kind of ups and downs when it comes to strikeout rate and power. And it seems like he's kind of just, you know, we talk about selling out for power. Like, he's just swinging hard and trying to hit the ball hard and, um, uh, you know, strikeouts be damned. So How much of that um, comes from limited opportunity where, you know, he's like, I got to make my impact here because it's so crowded. And now choose back. Um, is there anything to that or is that just kind of a narrative that you that we build up when we when we trying to fit things together here? Well, for sure. You know, guys, you know, benefit from extra playing time. When we talk about Aaron Hicks and his struggles this year and young guys trying to develop and, and you just listen to the way managers talk about it and the way teams act. They don't want to bring a guy up and, you know, if he's actually still developing and they, they're, they're expecting much of them in the future, they don't really necessarily want to bring him up and play him around. You know, at this point, Jerickson Profar might be who he is, so... And they're just happy he's healthy. So I think they're okay with bringing him up and playing him whenever they can play him and, and, and using him as a piece. But uh, And that's the same with Ryan Rua because Ryan, that's another thing about Ryan Rua. He's 26 and, you know, wasn't really a prospect uh, necessarily coming up. So, um, yeah, I think they're happy using Ryan Rua probably against lefties going forward. So that's how I would use him in, uh, in fantasy baseball too. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, a younger guy like Wilson Contreras, I think. Actually, just just to go back to that for a second, you know, if Ross and Montero are healthy, I could see Contreras is going right back down. Because just of the st- all the stuff Lackey's talking about, Contreras is not going to learn that pinch hitting for home runs and, uh, and, and catching two games a week or one game a week. So, um, you know, a guy like Rue is going to stay up but he's going to have limited usefulness. A guy like Wilson Contreras is going to be useful in all leagues, but go away. So, you know, I think that's something you got to think about when you're dropping guys because especially the deeper your league, the more likely you're going to need them later head-to-head. You know, how's an import, how, much import, how important is it to you to get a couple homers now with Wilson Contreras or, or, or have a catcher in September uh, that's, that's playing every day? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's always so, a big factor, right, that, that I think – gets more attention lately. I think that, you know, we're trying to be more mindful of that. At least when I answer Twitter questions and they say, Oh, should I pick up this guy? I'm always saying, who are you cutting? Right. That's a, that's almost as big of a deal as the guy that you're trying to get. Cause we've got to see how worth it it is. Sometimes it's just, Oh, should I pick up this guy? Yeah. And then you, you find out later that they cut somebody that you like way better. So you, you gotta be careful with those decisions head to head. You might be a little bit more uh, quick on the trigger because you need it instantly for that week roto you can afford maybe to be a little bit more uh uh, patient and and maybe wait on a guy a little bit longer because the payoff could be more substantial down the road 
Right. Well, you know, Chu, just to finish off real, real quick, Chu has been getting worse against lefties. You know, this year he's been all right, but it's a super small sample. And, you know, Chu for his career has been getting worse against lefties and been getting closer to a platoon bat against lefties. Um, you know, he's below average with uh, with the bat against lefties, and he's below average with the glove right now. So that would make him a hard play, especially with Nomar Mazar and Ian Desmond going so well. So, um, you know, I think you got Ian Desmond pretty much playing every day. You've got Nomar Mazar pretty much playing every day. He's been hitting homers off lefties. Yeah, he, he's earning his keep against lefties. Yeah, uh, so I think that gives you Shinsu Chu and Ryan Rua in left field uh, with Ryan Rua perhaps um, – you know, taking some at bats from Prince Fielder um, at DH uh, for, against lefties, except that Jerks and Profar has been playing at first base a decent amount. Um, you know, so that that puts Mitch Moreland in a little bit of risk too. Um, but uh, no matter what you, if you look up and down, I think um, you see playing time for Rua going forward, and the person who's I think most in risk. Well, actually, you know what? I'm a little bit out of date on that profile. He's only played uh, first base once, and it was a long time ago. Um, but they're they're still finding the way to to get him around. And and Adrian Beltre has been hurt, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, uh, Prince Fielder is the guy that I'm the most risk. I'm the most uh, unexcited about on that team. Un- I, think, I think understandably uh, so. At this, point. I bet you they find some sort of phantom DH stint for him when Beltre comes back. DL stint, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Phantom DH. He lo- he lo- he's been a phantom DH this year. You cannot see him <laughs> anywhere, which is hard. It's hard to lose him, but it, that's a, his numbers are non-existent. Uh, so, yeah, we, we like Martin probably the most, but I like that you highlighted Rua. You don't even have to pick your favorite. You can just pick one you want to highlight uh, in these next two categories. The power guys, the power-focused outfield potential replacements for this rash of DL injuries. you got Brandon Moss with eight bombs and an 11.05 OPS in the last 30 days. Franklin Gutierrez with six and a 994, and Chris B. Young with five and a 938. Young probably falls into that Rua category where he really focuses on playing against lefties, um, and it's definitely crowded there, but he's been beasting. Which of those three do you want to highlight as as somebody worth going out and picking up? You know, they're all a little bit risky. You know, there's a, there's a, they're really, Gutierrez and Young are, are on the wrong side of a, a platoon, and Moss is on a, a fairly crowded team. Mm-hmm. But I'll take the lefty in Moss. I like that, you know, he's he's doing, he's not doing something he's never done before. You know, he uh, maybe he's reaching a little bit over his head in the power department, but this is who he is. He smacks the ball hard. He walks. He's the true outcome guy. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in terms of, his uh, fly ball rate, it's never been healthier. So he's really just, he's got that launch angle going where he's just, he's hitting everything in the air and uh, we'll, see, we'll see what comes down or not. So, uh, you know, for Brandon Moss, the only thing that, only caveat is the same caveat as the other ones. So, you know, playing time. So I'll, I'll take him in terms of, you know, Gutierrez has had a lot of health issues. This power explosion is, is not in a huge sample. And doesn't have the same sort of background as Brandon Moss's. He's really Goody's really struggled against righties this year too. He he kind of gotten on track a little bit um, in his last two seasons. I say in his last two seasons because he didn't play in 2014. We thought maybe he could be like an everyday guy or something for a second, but yeah. And then and then Chris Young has been just a lefty smasher. So you know, the, I guess there's an interesting thing going on right now. Colton Wong playing center field in, in, for the Cardinals. Yeah, what do you think about that? 
He's taking some uh, interesting routes, if I'm putting it. And I, I'm going to go John Lackey here, and I'm going to try to try to be uh, be kind about no. it. He's going to learn. He'll figure it out. But uh, those are some interesting routes out there in center. Well, one thing that I'll say uh, is that they, he hasn't been there a long time. He played four or five games in the minor leagues and just came off. We should so. mention uh, some, what facilitated his, his recall, though. Randall Gritchick got sent down, which I think shocked some folks. Not necessarily because... Uh, his performance didn't merit it just because I don't know that we, we thought that they would send him down, right? You know, he still had the eight homers. Yeah, he was toting a 668 OPS, but I don't know. I kind of – maybe I'm just uh, – uh, I just wasn't open enough to that that idea that he would get sent back down because he was struggling so much. The thing for Grichuk is that he wasn't even crushing lefties because he, he was supposed to at least be kind of a Gutierrez type where he mashes the hell out of lefties and hopefully holds his own against righties. He had a 547 against lefties OPS wise and that was uh, much lower than his 727 against righty so he got sent out Wong comes back up and they're put they're trying him out in the outfield so that's kind of interesting yeah I mean but if you've been listening here we, we haven't been necessarily uh, his biggest booster um, Wong's or you know, Richuk's Richuk's yeah. um, Wong you know it, that one was hard just because I didn't think this far ahead I didn't think this cardinal you know I didn't think Oh, yeah, he could be a center fielder. You know? I, I didn't either. I, I really didn't. I was like, you know, I like that bat more than he's been doing. I think he can, you know, recover that bat. Same. But Diaz is killing it. And they made this decision now to play Peralta at third. You know, where does Wong fit in? And um, maybe, you know, sh- you know, um, maybe he gets the big part of a platoon with Diaz, but probably not. I mean, so Diaz, 264 plate appearances in, still popping a 303 average and an 833 OPS. Um, you know, he's just not going to take that out of the lineup. No, so, you can't. So, yeah, anyway, with Wong playing center, uh, there's not really a great option for someone to, like a righty, to platoon with him. Um, I mean, Holiday is not a center fielder. Mm-hmm. And I guess Piscotti is the guy. So, Piscotti is a right-hander, and he has played some center. He just, and he's he's a little bit more, he's a little bit more athletic than people might give him credit for. He was a third baseman. Uh, with Stanford, and you know he can move a little bit, but I think that that's uh, maybe they can do it against lefties sometimes, but I doubt it's a long-term plan. So I think you know Piscotty Wong Holiday is pretty much uh, you know like a full-time outfield unless they're moving Holiday you know to first against righties because Matt Adams is still getting platooned. However, why move Matt Holiday to first when when you can just play Brandon Moss first? Exactly. So I think that's, you know, even though Brandon Moss is also a lefty, uh, he's going to get playing time against lefties because Matt Adams is not playing. And then he's going to get whatever falls between the cracks um, between Piscotti and Holiday, and Holiday's uh, decently old. So uh, it's a weird thing because you, you, don't, you don't necessarily want the guy who's going to face lefties who's a lefty, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't love the lefty-lefty. But, you know, he's, he's, hitting, so, he's hitting so well. And this is Moss uh, you're talking about. The, yeah, Moss. Is, and it's not that Piscotti's been bad, um, but Piscotti is a righty. Uh, so I think they will find some ways to get uh, him in there. And then Holiday is so old that, um, well, come on, he's 36. I'm, I'm about to turn 37. Hey, we're so. talking baseball old here. Right, I yeah. think we all understand that uh, what he's baseball old and real old are, are two vastly different things. The speed is totally gone, and the defense is bad. I mean, the defense is bad. It's been bad I, for a while. Be, it's been bad for a while, and I don't think the defensive numbers are catching it. Like, I think 
either they're just way on top of his placement in the field or just a lot of balls haven't gone to him or something because he's uh, he's pretty bad out there. So, you know, you maybe in a low-scoring game, you decide you want uh, Moss out there, you know, and um, and uh, and Holiday on the bench in order to improve your defense. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to – with the trio that you gave me, it's hard to see a guy who's going to, you know – play every day by the way we, we haven't mentioned him because he's obviously locked down player not going anywhere but in, in that jumble carpenter goes back to second that's what we're seeing here and i, I i'd be well, remiss you know, carpenter has some interesting splits uh against lefties but the only other replacement for him is to to bring wong back to second exactly and... well I'd, I'd be remiss if i didn't mention that diaz does have a 685 ops since may 1st so it is still a lot of it is still built on that on that big April, but the fact is they feel confident enough to not take that. Uh, you know the bottom line is still an 8.33 OPS and a 3.03 average. They don't feel comfortable taking that out of the lineup at this point, and I guess I understand it uh, to a degree, but that is still something to keep an eye on for Ledmus Diaz. And it, it Moss is moving all around. You know when he, every game he gets in is there's a slash in it. He comes in the game at first, goes to left. Comes in right, goes to left. In one game, he went. He was at right, went to first, and then went to left. Not that so, you don't usually uh, see Brandon Moss as like a utility guy. Yeah, <laughs> but when he's uh, he's since in June he's hit uh, four, five, six, seven homers. So smashing. Uh, you get that. You get him in there when you can. Right. So anyway, I, and I, you know, I like him as a person. So maybe that's uh, clouding my mind. But then it's not like any of those three are going to take a job and run with it. So yeah, and but if anyone is, it would be Moss again for the main reason that you mentioned. He's on the strong side. He has the he has the capability to get that mo- the most playing time there. And if he can hold his own against lefties, and he hasn't really too much this year except for a little bit of power, uh, then Moss could run with it. Gutierrez really needs to get back on track against righties, or he's going to be that short side platoon guy. And Chris Young's been a short side platoon guy now for about a decade. Uh, let's talk about the speed only guys. Three very interesting guys. Rajay Davis has 11 stolen bases in the last 30 days. He's 52% at Yahoo, 46% at ESPN. So, so pretty available for what he's doing because yeah, I think he also has six or seven homers, which is kind of interesting for Rajay Davis. Whit Merrifield. Uh, four stolen bases. He was 16 for 17 at AAA already this year, which is really nice. And then kind of crazy. did not realize this was happening at all. Howie Kendrick has five stolen bases in the last 30 days. He had six in 495 plate appearances last year. I, I, I put him last because I doubt it's really going to hold up. What do you think of that trio? Who would you most uh, be eyeing if you were trying to make a replacement for the injured outfielders? It's uh, an interesting group. I mean, Rajai is kind of like oh, spam or something. Not not the the stuff that ends up in your email, no, but the, the food, meat, the disgusting Whereas meat. Just I don't. I mean, I'm, that's I guess that's rough on him. But he's just he he's never really uh, gotten anyone excited, and everyone dropped him at some point this year. But and he's thirty five, and he's not stealing. You didn't seem like he was stealing as much as he used to. And, you know, he has inconsistent power and blah, 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 blah. And he's right-handed. And sometimes he ends up on the wrong side of the platoon. And he should be a center fielder, but he's not. But he's just humming along, man. Right. 
is humming just along. Quietly keep like like a, a more especially a, in fantasy too. I mean, more so than in even real life. Absolutely, you know? absolutely, because the stolen bases are almost always there. Weirdly, they really weren't last year. And I think part of that is is being on Detroit. He only had 18 last, but he did have 36 with the with the Tigers the year before. The power has been pretty nice though, because you know never double digits, eight, six, eight, eight, and then already seven this year could get his first double digits. But I just really like getting that five plus out of my big speed guy. I don't know, you know, I know it's not the end of the world five homers versus the one or zero that somebody like Ben Revere gets, but I just like it so much more. And weirdly, it's looking like, uh, you know, Rajay Davis could be approaching double digits this year. I don't know if Abraham Almonte left some stuff behind or Marlon Bird, <laughs> but uh, he might he might have taken their locker and said, oh, what's this? Glug, 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 glug. Boom. Seven I, did, I, I said inconsistent power because he's had he's had a little burst before. I, I, I don't know. I, uh, let me see. In terms of uh, ground ball, fly ball. Exactly the same as last year. Exactly the same as in line with his career. Is the homer to fly ball out of whack, I imagine. Uh, yes, you know, twelve percent this year, five percent for career, but it was nine percent last year, and has generally been trending up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, he's definitely pulling the ball a lot more. So, you know, pulling he's the ball. He's not small. Like Rajay Davis yeah. is. He's a speedy guy. But I don't see him as as that. He almost has a, like Eric Young body, just the barrel chest and the. He's only five nine five ten, but he but he's thick, like you said, barrel chest, and so he can he can drive one when when he gets it. But yeah, usually a short side platoon guy. So I totally understand the reservations that one might have. But at the same time, you look at the production, and it's been there pretty much consistently for Rajay Davis, and he's always been a guy for fantasy that only really needs about three hundred and fifty plate appearances to give you way more than your money's worth because he never costs you a thing on draft day. And yeah, a couple different times he's gotten 338 plate appearances, 34 stolen bases, 360 back in 2013, 45 stolen bases and six home runs. So even if the playing time dries up a bit this year, he's already given you so much. I mean, those 21 stolen bases leads the American league and yeah, this power surge is kind of crazy. So the risk of course is, uh, that Michael Brantley comes back. Yeah, but and, that outfield is so crappy. I still think that he's going to play. Yeah, and Tyler Naquin right now has is getting hits on 45% of his batted balls. Um, and, what's up with his power surge, by the way? He's got five in the last 15 games. What is that? Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. You know, he was supposed to have a little bit more power this year than uh, he had been sort of. He developed a little bit like last year in AAA was his best power year. But before that, he was supposed to be a guy that was going to have like a 100 ISO and probably do you something like, you know, three homers, 10 stolen bases, 270 average with good defense in center field. Just like a total backup, you know, like a total Mm -hmm. just a filler type guy who might play when everyone's hurt, Um, which is, you know, describes how he got his role this year. Uh, But it doesn't describe what he's done since he's been in it. I still think, you know, there's a decent hit tool here. That's why everyone's projecting him for like a 330 BABIP. But, you know, look at these OBPs here. Even with a 330 BABIP, 301, 320, 311, he's not going to climb out of the ninth spot in that order. He hasn't, even with the power surge. Davis is the one who's leading off. Mm -hmm. Uh, That suggests to me also that if Brantley comes back, Brantley plays center field, Naquin becomes the backup, um, and maybe... Roger goes over to left. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, Rajay is already in left pretty much. But oh, Nick, uh, yeah, Naquin's playing center. By the way, you know. Maybe Ramirez and Chisholm turn into a platoon. I mean, Ramirez um, is a switch hitter. He's kind of been bouncing. He's kind of a utility guy, right? Yeah, he can. He, he can. He's he's used to that, so he can play, you know, in right field against lefties uh, against, and he can still you know carve out because you know Juan Uribe gets hit in the balls every once in a while <laughs> because and, he, you can't find a cup big enough for him. They got to put a trash can in his pants to maybe <laughs> contain it. Uh, that's the only way. That's the only way they got. Listen, I'm not trying to to uh, crush another outlet here, but the ESPN Cleveland Indians depth chart still has Marlon Bird in right field. Stepping game up over there, four letter network. I, I don't think he's going to be playing right field anymore. No, just, he's, he's undone. Just my guess. I don't, but yeah, to your not, point on Ramirez, he's not like officially banned or anything, but I, I doubt anybody gives him another. Well, sh- he shot. shouldn't be the top guy in right field. Oh, yeah, definitely not. No, no. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes, sometimes weird things happen um, in terms of like how many plate appearances you project the rest of the way. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's an auto thing. That's like Rajai Davis is starting in left field right now, but Jose Ramirez has the most plate appearance projected, uh, and it probably has something to do with what happens to Rajai Davis because he's also going to play backup center field, playing right field. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Davis I think is a starter right now. I like him out of that group. You know, Whit Merrifield I think deserves uh, some love too because, you know, and not not because of almost. Anything that he does, actually, but just because he is the starter there, and I, I don't. I'm think Whitley David Merrifield. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Watch me take this swing with this driver. <laughs> uh, so uh, he, you know, I don't think Christian Cologne. I think Christian Cologne is, you know, their utility guy, and uh, Omar Infante done, and. Uh, Chesler Cuthbert is over at third, and mm-hmm. there's just uh, there's not really anything else going on. And you know, despite the fact that Whitfield had you know can't take a walk, is allergic to it, um, he makes enough contact and and is showing enough power that he could fit right in. That's the Royals' way, you know. Please Make don't walk me. My name is Whitley. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like that he's 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 now you know stealing bases. I mean, four out of five. Uh, 16 out of 17 in the minor leagues last year, 32 out of 41 the year before in 2015. So that's huge. And, and yeah, it's, I think his bad is through the roof right now, Merrifield's, uh, to, to sustain this, this batting average. So it'll, it'll come down, but that playing time uh, is key yeah. and it's going to be there for a long time because I'm not sure that they're going to go out and make moves to, to replace him because Merrifield can also kind of play all around. He's got 20 games at, at second, uh, nine and left three at third, one in right. So even if they add a piece, he's going to bounce around. And he's leading off amazingly. They just really don't care about walk rate. Nope. Uh, They let Elsie Escobar Escobar lead off. He's about to to break the record for a number of outs, I think, or something. What? Yeah, there's something. He's going to break the record for a number of outs by a player in a season, I think. So uh, go Elsie. Anyway, so Whit Merrifield... um, I was going to say Rajai is leading off. Uh, Rajai has more power. Rajai has more patience. So he's going to get more of those runs. Uh, but the Royals offense is probably a little bit, you know, I'm not I'm not looking at it right uh, now. No, I'll go for Cleveland's. Um, they, they've been sneakily pretty solid this year offensively. And with the injuries to the KC offense. Now, if there was only, if Casey's okay. offense was whole and, and just traded Infante for Merrifield, 
I think you'd have a case. But with the injuries that they've had, I'm going to go with Cleveland's offense. And then, and then just the fact that Davis is the is the seasoned vet um, who has all the tricks to to keep it you know keep it going, whereas. Merrifield at some point is going to run into that, you know, two ten Babbitt week. Yes, and how's he going to react when he when he's you know one and for twenty eight? and he, he's not giving you any value with walks. So, um, you know, I, I think probably the deep leaguers either have Merrifield, um, yeah, they have Merrifield, or, or you know, like I think what I'm saying is if if Davis and Merrifield are on your wire, then you're taking Davis. If 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 you want Merrifield just because he's going to play. Because you're in a deep league, then he's off the wire. I mean, he's not there anymore. Yeah, so deuces to Howie Kendrick either way. We like Davidson Merrifield <laughs> much more. I just, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I've been a Howie Kendrick fan in the past, but I just don't buy it. Where, where are you stealing five bases out of nowhere for? He's trying to keep his job is what he's doing. He's like, I got to do anything I can. Um, but he doesn't realize that real baseball isn't fantasy and the Dodgers don't even care about his stolen bases. Right, and they're old. He's old as not, and then. Uh, you know, on a one-year deal, they have no. Uh, if 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 they fall in the standings at all, they have no dedication to him next year. So they're just going to move on. They're either going to try Scott Van Slyke full time, or get Andre Ethian there to see if they can trade him, um, or just you know install Trace Thompson, Yasiel Puig, and Jock Peterson in the outfield and say Enrique Hernandez could take playing time from him. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things they could do if either they fall out or they decide. He's, you know, not doing enough. He's got I mean, a 618 OPS, Howie Kendrick does. So, yeah, I mean, this, like I said, the stolen bases are grasping at 30% worse than league average of the bat. He's below replacement because his, his defense has not been good. And that's that follows the eye test. Watched him in the outfield. Wasn't impressed. So I, I think he's on his way to being uh, last year's Chase Utley. Um, you know, just sort of backing up uh, the rest of the team. At, at, you know, at second pinch, pinch hitting. Also, as a righty, that's a that's a decent role to have. I mean, that's a decent thing to have. Although it's you know it's normally Kike Hernandez, but Kike Hernandez can play better defense in more positions. Mm-hmm. So you know you could do, you can play around with Howie Kendrick pinch hitting, Kike Hernandez coming in as a defensive replacement sort of deal. National League Baseball, will, you know, catch the fever. <laughs> uh, if Kendrick, so he he is hitting better in June. I'll give him some credit here. Uh, 722 OPS, which is not, you know, uh, ungodly as it, as it was. He brought a 580 into the, uh, into the month of June, but he's another cold streak away from a DFA. I think Howie Kendrick is because they have, like you said, Kike Hernandez doing a much better version of everything that Kendrick can do right now. Let's see what Trace Thompson's June OPS is. I shouldn't say much better because, uh, they're actually Pretty close yeah. in OPS plus Kike and and Kendrick, but why not take the 24 year old and give him those playing uh, played appearances over a 32 year old? Trace Thompson has slowed down and is 16 uh, percent better than league average, and is a career outfielder that played center and uh, much is way more better. athletic. So I think that outfield is Thompson, Puig, Peterson, uh, and you know various right-handers uh, coming in for them at certain times. But Trace is a right-hander, so it's not coming in for him. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree there. Um, I think that's actually going to wrap us up. You know, we're a little bit a little bit tighter today. you got to get on and do some radio. We will be back Friday, probably a, a longer episode closer to that, uh, pushing over an hour. We'll have hey, a lot to cover. Sorry that we uh, did. You guys, you didn't do like a weekend. No, we, we, so it was it was a it was yeah. a big lull, and I know everyone was asking for it. So we weren't going to miss today, no matter what. And we'll be back in two days with with a jam packed one. Don't worry. Just we'll to give you guys an update of what happened. Yeah, let's let's do a, we have a couple minutes. Let's do a couple 
uh, updates of what happened just because we were gone. This is what we were doing. We were having a ton of fun. It was the, uh, you know, I, I went on TV and put my book, uh, the craft beer lovers uh, guide to baseball is on pre-order on beer graphs. Um, then I went to the Mets game and saw Cologne hit an oppo double and, and run around the bases. That was fun. Um, the next day was Friday. Uh, saw some friends. We all went. Then we met with all the, the fan graphers and had great uh, uh, barbecue out in Red Hook. That was oh, pretty good. That I was so good. Listen, I'm from Texas, and so honestly, the second I heard we were having uh, <laughs> we were having barbecue, I, you know, I gave you guys a little bit of a crooked eye. Like, come on, really? And then we uh, had it, like- and holy <laughs> crap, it was amazing. Fall off the bone. And I, and I had been meeting with friends, so I came in a little bit toasted and uh, just grabbed Dude, the thing. And just, the funniest just thing, y'all, the, the, we're, we're doing like the, the family-style stuff where there's just plates of food. Eno literally comes in and grabs a chunk full of brisket with his hand and just shoves it down his gullet. It was pretty great. <laughs> y'all, if you haven't seen Eno do the bat race, the dizzy bat race in, at Staten Island on Sunday – you also need to see that it's on my Twitter. Maybe I'll pull the uh, pull the tweet specifically and put it with this with this uh, podcast post because that was amazing. The weekend was a flying success. Oh. You put together an amazing event at Rattle and Hum. The meetup was unbelievable. You know, great so work on people, that. So many people on Saturday night. Uh, so many people came. Uh, I felt a little bit like a wedding where I got like you know two or three minutes with everybody. Uh, if you did come and say hi, uh, I hope that I got to shake your hand and, and talk just a little bit. It was a whirlwind for me, and you know I was there for seven hours, so um, you know that was a little crazy. Uh, the wiffle ball game. Uh, what were some highlights? Uh, David Appleman bobbled a ball for about uh, twenty feet. Like the owner six of bobbles, amazing catch. Catch. Dave Cameron was the peg uh, out king. So we play with the wiffle ball rule where you know you can you can throw the ball at them, obviously waist and below, ideally. And he had I think he had four peg outs. Yeah, he was he was killing people. And big bat. I mean, he had probably some of the deepest drives That's of the game. True. Paul Castava on rotographs uh, had some deep drives. So we started uh, with the so you got you found a, a couple of bats. You found two skinny bats, and then you had the big bat. Originally, we were said. Everyone can use the big fat uh, Bam Bam from uh, from Flintstones bat once in the game. Well, it turned out that about you know three four innings game three four innings into the game we were playing like AT and T Park on the worst <laughs> night possible. Two two nothing with tons of strikeouts. Yeah, so we had to to ramp it up. So we we took the balls out of the humidor. We said everyone can use the big bat as they see fit and offense skyrocketed and it was an amazing game out in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Amazing time. I, I keep saying the word amazing because it was just so much fun. We got job though because rotographs against fan graphs and even though we uh, pitched first we pitched last, and there was a walk-off. Yeah, win, we got so. we got super ripped. Yeah, they. Uh, I don't know how that really happened. Uh, we were it, we were tiring a little bit. It was uh, it was warm, and you know the, the idea of a walk-off with Dave Cameron winning it was uh, was a nice narrative for everyone. So uh, you it, know, it was fitting a, that you know Cameron of all people wants the narrative when it, when it's in his favor, huh? <laughs> what about the stats, though? What about the real the reality of the situation? Yeah. Uh, but they came back 14-12. That's, it was 2 nothing after two or three innings. And we went to the big bat, and, bat, big bat and it ended 14-12. So. <laughs> we really did Coors Field it up with the, uh, <laughs> with, with the bat. It, it, it needed to be done. Like, Listen, I like a pitcher's duel as much as the next guy, but not when we're playing wiffle ball in the park. 
Yeah, and then Sunday that uh, event at Staten Island was fun. Uh, met some. Uh, there was a there was a kid there that was just having the best of time of his life. I wish I remember Alex. his name. Uh, Alex, that's right. Great Alex kid. is listening. Hey, you know what up to Alex? Uh, thanks for coming out, and uh, to everybody else who came out to Staten Island, that was a, a lot of fun. I got to do the dizzy bat. Uh, I, somebody gave me an idea that I should you do it slow, and that's how I'd win. And I said, winning is not crossing the finishing line. Winning line is winning is being as silly as possible. Absolutely. So I hit that bat as hard as I could, turned as hard as I could, and uh, took not even a full step before I went right into the dirt, almost into the dugout. Uh, and by that measure, you won. Right. I mean, uh, and actually got into a Twitter battle today with somebody, one of the guys that claimed that he won. And uh, to be honest, that's what the announcer said, but I don't care. Um, Honestly, I, I listen. Yacked, I almost yacked into a player's face when I was falling into the clubhouse, <laughs> uh, into the dugout. So I, I think that's a winning move right we'll there. We'll let but everybody so. judge for themselves. It's on your on your Twitter yeah, feed. Yeah, but I honestly think that you actually not only did you win from an entertainment standpoint, but I think you actually won the race because you recovered. Everyone was focused on you falling over. It was a great great time, but then up in the I upper corner, the they were on, bumping so. into each other, and you had the tape on you at the end. I feel like that's a W for you, man. I'm just being honest. Uh, well, there's uh there's the radio. There Gotta you go. go. Thanks hey, for listening. Peace.